2: everybody, to another episode of Benched with Bubba, episode 609. Going to recap some more of the 2023 fantasy baseball season, talk formats, the differences, and much, much more. And in order to do so, special guest coming back on the show here for the evening. We're going to chat it up. People are very excited about it on Twitter, which is great to see. You can find him on Twitter,
1: at BatflipCrazy. Toby, how are we doing, my friend? Bubba, it is great to be back. Um... I'm doing well. I'm doing well, enjoying a little bit of, you know, peace and quiet after the, after the long season, but it's awesome to be back. Thank you for inviting me. And mm-hmm. I'm excited to, to talk some baseball with you once again. Yep. Can't wait to, to chat it up.
2: Like we were off the air. I'm like, we could have probably sat there and talked forever and not even got on the show. So it's a, uh, it's good to, to chat it up. and we'll Forget the show, with... Bubba. Yeah, this just, just chat behind the scenes, man. Yeah. They'll enjoy that cutting room floor it's all good they, they can fi- find it all later but uh yeah it's, it's gonna be fun to, to chat it up of course uh, i was gonna open up with a fun question but it's a listener question so i'll wait till later in the show we'll get to s'mores talking sweets later but uh before we get into it since it's been about a you know baseball season six months or so what's new in the life of toby g like what's going on are we all be good uh fancy oh, baseball's the grind you said you're relaxing everything's now. How's everything going?
1: everything's good you know um yeah, I can't complain. Uh, I had a great, had a good year, you know, um, did well, family's good, everything is good. So it's been nice, you know, every year I kind of cut out a couple leagues. And so um, I think as I'm doing that and kind of focusing my attention a little bit more, I get a little bit more time. And it was a great end of the season. I know we um you weren't able to be there but um you know celebrating the the main event title of, of, of brian uh slack you know me and sammy and um and justin and brian were hanging out the last day and we missed you and um it was fun to uh to get to celebrate a major accomplishment like that for, yeah. for a good friend so
2: yeah that was awesome to see i was dming with them later that evening and could, we could tell everyone had a good time let's put it that way it was good good times are had by all and well-deserved times and you know, he won the main event, but you guys all did very well in that room. It was a, it was a very successful, uh, fancy baseball season. Uh, I know you tweeted it out, but you, you want to run through the, uh, cause you mentioned you cut, cut down on things, but before we get into the different formats, let everybody know how you did this season. Cause I know it was very, very successful.
1: Yeah. You know, I did, I did pretty well this year. Um, didn't do well in my, in my biggest league. I actually share it with, um, with Brian Slack. So pretty clear, like he wins the main event when he's off playing with other people. And then he shares a team with me and doesn't even cash. Um, so that was a little bit frustrating that team. Um, you know, the, the, the lesson from 2023 for me is don't draft, uh, Shane Bieber and Robbie Ray on the same team. Those were the two (laughs) teams that didn't cash for me. And, uh, it just wasn't great, but, um, that one was a battle. It was a battle the whole year, just kind of like, uh, almost funny how bad our luck with pitching was, but, um, outside of that one, uh, I was fortunate to win my, one of my auction championships, um, which was really great, uh, finished second in one of my auction championships. I actually led that one probably two months, um, going into the the last couple weeks of the season, but then, um, Rob Geese, who's a great player, uh, he put together just an incredible team. It's one of those situations where you're like looking at your team and you're looking at the other team and you're kind of like, I don't love my chances here. (laughs) This guy's put together a great team and it it kind of blew through and you know how how these cycles work, like teams get hot and then they they slow down and they get hot and they slow down. So he blew past me and then he just kind of stayed steady and I fluctuated a little up and down, but I couldn't get there again. So that was AC2, but I finished first and second in my two auction championships, which was really, which was nice. Uh, We'll talk a little bit about that format, but I really enjoy that a lot finished fourth in my main. It was a super competitive league, had a chance going into the last week, um, but just couldn't, couldn't quite get there Um, with that team. Had a little bit of bad luck with wins. Like I had a a solid ERA, solid whip, um, but just was not getting the wins. I had Sonny Gray on that team, for instance. So just like stuff like that, that happens, but you know, the better teams won. Justin beat me, Justin Mason finished second. I finished fourth in that league um and so, he probably
2: he probably didn't mention that at all when you guys are hanging out on that sunday at all
1: no i mean at that point we were just talking before the show i had jordan uh, wicks or whatever his name is wicks um and you know after his start that last week of the season i knew i didn't have a shot at ratios so um i was kind of cheering on for justin and hoping he did as well as possible and we were all like so there were so many dynamics going like one of the best moments of, of that whole day like yeah brian won it but like there was a moment when something happened and Justin lost his auction championship lead. Um, God, what was it? It was, um, I think it was like some ratio related thing. And so he thought he had lost. It was like the eighth inning and then David Bednar comes in and throws a, a clean inning and he goes back up on ratios That's awesome. and then, and then, um, he was like, if if uh, Bouchard hits a home run here, you know, like I'm buying a, a Sean Bouchard jersey. And then Bouchard hit the bomb. And that was it. That locked it in for him. And so that was just stuff like that where it was really fun and all rooting for each other. Um, won my OC, my 7, 750 OC, which was nice. That team was just a great team the whole season. Um, I finished fourth in Barf, but 36th, or I mean in TGFBI, but 36th overall. I got all the way up to third. Super competitive league, super strong league. Um, So that was a little bit of a bummer. Finished really slow. And then I won BARF. Um, We were talking before the show, just put together 30.1 innings of shutout baseball the last week of the season with a 0.46 whip and 19 steals uh, in a league that all I needed was steals and ratios. And so that was kind of wild for that to happen. So I ended up taking that. So it was a good season overall. Um, I know people love to hear the details of all my leagues, but um, yeah, it was a fun season. It was a good season. There was a point in time I was sharing with you, like where I was first place in like both of my ACs, my main event and the OC. And I just couldn't hold together that last, the last month was brutal offensively for
0: me. So.
2: Yeah, it was rough. We, we shared that. We talked about it off the air. My, my offense has started crumbling at this about the same time. It was a rough, rough go to say the least. Um, so you, you mentioned, your different formats and everything before we get to like the exact formats, um, were there any new approaches you took in 2023? I know we talked about them in the past, like doing shows and you had your Saturday night fabs, you had, you know, stuff throughout the week, where you'd watch things and whatever. Was there anything new that you, you did this year compared to other years that maybe kind of helped you out along the way?
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, from a macro level, um, we talked a little bit about this last year, but I didn't do any drafts until February last year. Um, And I think the major reason for that was more like psychological than anything else. But I feel like when you are doing all of those drafts, there's this psychology that happens where you're like, oh, these are the four guys that I pivot to in this situation. Or, you know, when I'm short on closer, you know, or on, on relievers or whatever, I'll, you know, I'll go to these three guys. And so you get, you develop these like habits you know, and then, you know, drafting changes, ADP changes, the market changes, all of those things happen, but you're kind of set in your ways almost beforehand. And in some instances, it's like, you're like, oh, I already have, you know, that guy on seven teams. So I don't need him on another team. But then you look back and you're like, oh my God, I only have this guy I love on one of my, you know, 10 teams. And so I think psychologically that was really nice. And actually this year, I may skip DCs entirely this year. Um, I may, and I'm going to try to wait until March. I wouldn't be surprised if when I, we go live in Vegas um, is kind of the first time that I'm drafting a, a, drafting a team.
2: The Rob um, Silver Just approach. because
1: the Rob Silver approach. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. number one, um, I mean, most importantly, like I don't like DCs. Like I don't yeah. like those teams. I don't like managing those teams. I don't like, <laughs> I couldn't even tell you like, you know, I just set my lineups. Like I just don't even, I don't feel yeah. connected to them you know? So it's just like, you know, whatever, like, I don't want to even be setting these teams. Um, And so I think that's part of it. And then I think um, uh, also, I think just like, you know, really honing in on those, on those teams that, and and what I want to do in those big drafts, I think is the most important thing. And, you know, you kind of leave little tidbits of information as you draft about like the players that you're interested in or things like that. And You know, I think I'm, I'm, I think i like the idea of just kind of going in there, having a plan, knowing a variety of different guys that I'm going to go to. And that gets to my second thing that I think I changed dramatically, which was really trusting the projections, you know, like instead of really doing a lot of in-depth player stuff. I mean, I still did that, but I really worked on honing the spreadsheet that our good friend, um, Tanner Bell has, uh, has created. And really like taking it, you know, what it is, and then trying to make it better and getting it prepped for auctions and getting it prepped for the main and and trying to think about like, you know, different ways you can manipulate that um, around projections and making sure that those were locked in. So that when I went into drafts, there were still guys where I was like, I'm not going to draft this player because I just don't think they're that good. I don't trust the projection on this. But for a lot of the time, it was like, okay, I know who in all of these different positions are looking like they're good values. I'm gonna go based on that generally speaking and and really trust that process that gets me to that point as opposed to like you know really using you know my own, which sometimes you're right, but I think a lot of times you're wrong too. So that was kind of the change that I made and I think something that I'll really like mean into heading into this year too.
2: yeah, and I'm really curious speaking of projections that could be a, that's a whole nother show is. I'm curious to see what they look like this year because it's like our first regular year we've had in a long time. It's so like a lot of the projection systems have been using all like, you know, the shortened COVID season, the bouncy ball season. And obviously they use their own like weighted weights and their own way of doing things, but you're still using stats from previous seasons to try to like kind of form your, your point. And uh, so I'm curious to see now like on a full season where we, kind of expected the the ball's somewhat normal-ish kind of thing and and whatnot. So uh, we get a full season finally, and I'm kind of curious to see where that pans out. Plus, with the projections, seeing all these rookies get called up this year, how does that factor into things? Because usually projections aren't favorable of rookies. We know that very well, and that might have to be a point of either change or – Maybe when you go to kind of play with your 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 formatting, maybe maybe you're in, maybe you're out. I know in the past you're not the biggest rookie guy, neither am I. But that could be something we have to start acknowledging because at least they're going to get playing time, and that is something to to look at. So I'm curious in that approach when we when the projections come out and a you know, steamer usually comes out in another month or so. Like they'll be out real soon, and we'll start overreacting to those and everything else. But um, yeah, no, that that's something that's very much uh, in play and i'm curious to see how that goes so so cool to hear anything else or did i cut you off on that one
1: no i mean i think those were the major um you know the major overarching changes i tried to be a little bit more balanced between pitching and hitting you know focusing a little bit less and you know that worked out in some instances where i did well and, and some other instances where you know it wasn't as strong i mentioned like having beaver and ray like everything looks rosy from a k perspective when you have you know, theoretically, Bieber is going to get you 200 Ks, right? Even the year before, I think he had like 189 or 180 or something like that. So you expect him to get that volume, even if he doesn't have the Ks, but his Ks were cut so dramatically first. And then losing Robbie Ray, who, you know, has put up 200 Ks regularly, you know, in seasons where he's healthy and hadn't really had any injury issues. You know, that was uh, that, that those definitely hurt. So it's hard to like, see process challenges there, you know, it's like, maybe you could have seen something going wrong, but it's like Bieber, you know, Bieber had the arm issues the previous season. So maybe that was something we should have been a little bit more in tuned in, but Ray kind of came out of left field. And so, and that puts you in some challenging spots when you're chasing after K's just in terms of like who you're. The ratios
2: aren't ideal when
1: it's a straight guard guy. So yeah, totally. So yeah. But, um, I think overall, like I was pretty pleased process wise, I think cutting out a few more leagues this year again and kind of just whittling down and really being able to hone in and focus will be like the next adjustment.
2: Yeah. You're one of the few that always says that you're going to cut back and you actually do every year. So I'll give you credit for that. Cause most of us don't, as we say, we, I, I technically did in a roundabout way. I stayed to my program last year. I said, I just want to do one draft at a time just to be drafting and keep my mind right. And I didn't go outside of that realm too often. So that, that made me happy, but yeah, you, you said you are going to cut back and you did. And that was uh, kudos, and then uh, there is a lot to be said about that because most of my drafts aren't fab leagues. I made a point to have fewer fab leagues so that get focused. But then again, it goes to your point, and I'm with you. Like on my DCs, Monday morning set my lineups to Friday. Set so like you aren't really like in tune. I guess a ton of you know what's going on, and probably. Doing everything you should be doing, type scenario in those ones because you're focused on everything else and things you can control have more control over. Of you know, keep keep molding your team through Fab and, and other things and getting your team needs like you did for the final week. We got thirty and a third scoreless innings and nineteen stolen bases. You can't do that on a DC team. You're kind of at the mercy of what you have there. So, yeah, definitely something that uh, it's cool to see from from this perspective. Um, before we jump into the auction, we'll do the auction first and we'll talk about your Fab leagues um since you do the auction you do 15s you do 12s you do a bunch of different things just like a general question it doesn't have to be crazy do you kind of still i'm assuming so due to the projections because that's what you're going off of but do you primarily have a similar player pool or does the format dictate hey uh in an auction i i can go get certain guys so i want to have this player pool Where a 15 you know you kind of want more safety 12 you can take more chances do you have
1: a differing player pool between your formats um that's a great question yes and yes and no like it's not a it's not you know it's somewhat conscious but if you put your time and energy into the process right like i have i had a 15 team spreadsheet i had a 12 team spreadsheet you know and that kind of highlighted in some instances guys that i was interested in now there's always folks who are going later on in the draft right we're going later in adp you know and so what the real difference between 12 and 15s is just like you know what are the They really um, 12s emphasize the value of like rarer metrics, you know, rarer statistics. Right. So in the past, it would have been, you know, batting average and steals are going to drive the value of players in a 12 team league. Right. Like we saw kind of a sea change within this year of that shifting a little bit, at least away from from speed being a real scarce uh, category. And so that I think was the major difference. Like, for instance, I think a lot of people assume that in 15 team leagues, catchers are more valuable, you know, Um, but that's actually not true. Um, You know, we'll see what the projections say next time. But generally speaking, the shallower leagues, um, the better catchers are, 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 um, have a higher value because the difference between them and subsequent picks is greater. Um, with a shallower player, player pool, right? And so you're really trying to distinguish between them. Similarly, like with other leagues. So I think you maybe go for the home run a little bit more in those 12 team leagues because you're really looking for somebody who can kind of differentiate themselves. Whereas, like you mentioned, each roster spot into 15, just having a guy who's playing every day sometimes is what you're looking for. And so it's hard to, it's, it's a little bit harder to take some of those risks, at least not in the very back end of the draft. Because chances are that you may come to rely on that fifteenth round player, that sixteenth round player. You know, those are still guys that are are really important as you as you draft. And so, I think that's the major difference between the two, for sure.
2: All righty. Well, let's uh, let's talk formats here. And I just wanted to mention the auction first because you have done very well on those. Then we'll talk about the the twelve and fifteen team redrafts. But you did the auction. You won one of them. You did very very good out of the two. Well, you did. Good in both, but you won one of them. Um, what is your approach in an auction? I know you kind of said earlier, just in general, you're trying to be more balanced between pitchers and hitters. Obviously, people have their ideas like, you know, $70, $30 on our 60 $40 or all these different philosophies on hitting and pitching. Do you go out there like there's the Stars and Scrubs philosophy? In my mind, you're a little more of a balanced person, but I will see. Um, how do you, when you walk into a draft table in an auction, how do you foresee like what, what's your game plan in general like obviously don't give away like, all your secrets but what's your game plan when you get to the auction table
1: yeah i mean i think generally like what i try to do is again i'm super boring but i try to hone in my spreadsheet right my values are, are hey, my values you don't have
2: to say boring because it works so you're good at yeah, that well, regard, it, it works it's been proven it works
1: <laughs> yeah i mean the thing is like in an auction right you're trying to maximize value and so having your numbers be numbers that you trust and that you believe in is super important. And so I kind of go in with that idea and generally like it's a, it's a stars and scrubs for pitching, you know, in a lot of ways, and then it's a more balanced approach and hitting. Okay. But I think one of the things that I like about auctions is, is, and everybody says this and it's just like boring, but it's like each, each auction is different. Like the dynamic, not just the cost, the, the prices for players, but just the dynamics the ebbs and flows it's like a it's like a living organism the auction you know where it's kind of like you know you'll have you know people get thrown out first and it drives prices and then people will look at their boards and they'll be like holy cow i need to like i need to rein this in and there's almost like a, 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 a like you can now to almost feel people kind of like breathing in like oh man i got to i got to take it easy here for a little bit and so I think those are like some of the dynamics that you like don't necessarily like you, you plan for. And I think it's good to have values that you really believe in there because you will get pushed, right? You'll be looking at the board and being like, oh man, I, I don't have anybody. Like I haven't, I haven't gotten anybody. And if I, if I keep doing this, like, am I going to be left like totally messed up, right? Like, am I going to be like, just totally miss out on guys? Cause I'm not willing to go above my value or whatever it is. And so you do have to have some flexibility and understand the part of the draft you're in or the part of the players like in the higher level auctions, starting pitching goes much higher always than it has in previous auctions. So if you're looking at at, at, at the numbers, you're like, whoa, like, you know, like, uh, Aaron Nola hadn't gone over 27 bucks, you know, this whole auction season, and all of a sudden, I'm paying 33 bucks for him, <laughs> you know, and you're kind of like, oh, man, but the thing is, in the context of the draft, right, if, Spencer yeah, Strider is going for 34 down. or 35, right? If Cole's going for 36, 37, it's all relative. And so you need yep. to be able to adjust and say, okay, well, all these guys are going over. I could wait and just get the middle tier and I need to be comfortable with that. Or I need to pay a little bit more in this spot of the draft to go after this elite starting pitching. So there's, it's just like really being able to pivot and know what your plan is, but being able to move off of that. And then there are times when you're just like, I need to, I need to know whether this is a period of time where I add a little flexibility, or if this is a period of time where I, I need to, I need to hold on to my cash and be able to benefit. And there was a couple of spots in those drafts that felt really good where I was like teetering on the precipice of leaving my values. And then everybody else tightened up. And I felt like I was able to get some really good values in that kind of middle range of player. And so, you know, those are the moments when you start getting your guys repeatedly you know for lower than not even aav but just lower than what your value is where you feel good about it and so you're hoping that you get to that point but you're not really sure about it but generally like i go in thinking uh, kind of stars and scrubs approach to pitching and, like and more balanced and hitting but definitely had different drafts where that didn't happen you know it's like i ended up spending more in hitting than i thought i was going to because that's where some of the values were hitting and and needed to kind of pivot and, and focus more on pitching in fab. So,
2: yeah. Yeah. We were kind of talking about this off air is like, I I love the, the auction format. It's just, it's a long process. So I have to find one that works for me. And plus I'm not walking into a $2,500 auction table anytime soon. So uh, that part of it, but I love the idea. Cause I, I know I, even when I draft nowadays, like, like I try to be balanced with a few chances here and there, but I know my, myself, if, if, you know, once the juices start flowing and you start seeing the numbers go, and I think raining it back in is probably the toughest part for some people. I know that'd be a, a temptation to be like, Hey, I really want this guy, but I just ended up paying like not just a couple bucks over. I went dumb. I got dumb. I got, I it's going to hurt me on the back end now, or turn now. I now I am stars and scrubs and I didn't want to be type scenario. So, um, that that's going to be the fun of it. I'm looking forward to hopefully testing that out this year, but I like the idea because I haven't really heard, I've, I've talked to a few people on the show. About auction strategies i've listened to other people talk about it of course and i've never really heard it put as a uh, you know stars and scrubs pitching but balanced hitting that i think that's a great way to put it because i think most just think team stars and scrubs or team balanced or like i said 70 dollars here 30 whatever you don't really or 70 percent, 30 percent. you don't really uh break break it down into the two sides of things and you you, know, you probably break it down into starting pitching relieving and all that and we don't need to go into that but you you, you probably have it all broken down which is Very interesting. The one thing I will say, I guess, and I guess it's probably league dependent slash how the draft's going slash the season. Do you pay more for certain stats in an auction than you would for like a draft? Like, are you more inclined to, I need to go get power and I can get speed later? Do I need to go get strikeout? Like, Do you you have like a certain stat that you make a point to pay for?
1: Yeah, um, not really, because those should be built into the projection. Like I still track. To see where i'm at right because it's possible to get values on all home run hitters and then you look at your team and you're like man i'm going to get 15 in homers but i'm going to get two in steals so i think you still need to track that and manage it and kind of look at different player pools of players that you're going to pivot to in different instances to be a little bit more to make sure that you're you're being balanced but what i would do is actually manipulate the spreadsheet in that example so like i think what i did this year was i was actually like You know, I think I played it wrong in some ways, where I was like, I put a little bit more onus on batting average and steals because they were such a challenge last year. I knew that the changes to the to the game were happening, and that was going to increase steals. But in in a lot in my theory, it was that those were going to impact people across the board, right? So everybody was going to have to have more. Yeah,
2: I was with you. And whatever,
1: right? And so, and didn't really know how that was going to play out. And one of the things that I've always told myself is. Don't chase steals, right? Because when you're chasing steals, you, the impact it has on your overall team, like generally those guys aren't hitting homers. Generally, those guys aren't hitting at the top of the lineup, right? Generally, those guys aren't doing all of these things that we need for our whole team to be good. And so it's really something that you have to be judicious in how you do that. And so I kind of emphasize those. And so I think for that reason, like, you know, in both of my teams, I think I was pretty light. I think I was okay on homers. Uh, I was a little light, though, on um, RBI you know um and so you know i think that kind of played out you know yeah just with the way that this, the 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 season worked out so no you don't you kind of have them in your values but i do track those things i think the the hardest thing you know i'm new to auctions like i've done i did one you know in 2022 and then i did the three the three this year um and so one of the things that i think is really hard for me is guys get thrown out, you know, let's say like this year, you know, I loved first base. I loved, absolutely loved first base. Right. I liked Mount Castle. I liked Tellez. I liked, uh, Naylor. I liked Vargas. You know, I liked all of those players and on my auction teams, I didn't get any Naylor and I got him in my, in my, um, in my snake drafts. And it was because other guys went out earlier. Right. Mount castle goes out and it's like oh okay well i'll go up to 11 bucks for him get him at 10. you're like oh that's great you know like i went after him and then the next guy that gets thrown out is like miguel vargas and you're like oh okay so now i've got my first base i'm about to clog up my my corner corner infielder infielder, right and so you're like oh well i want to get vargas but if i get him here you know if my utils already filled right nailers off the table you know, so you have to like be like, oh, but what if Naylor goes three dollars above what you wanted, Right. So it's like, do I take the value now and let that other guy who maybe I like a little bit more or presents a little bit more value, um, you know, go to somebody else or what? And there was this instance in one of the drafts where that happened, where Miguel Vargas went for six bucks. You know, I think his AAV was like nine or something like that. And I really liked him a lot. I, lo- I loved him as a player. Um, and and i remember him going for six bucks and not being able to do anything because i had we had Bohm, we had chapman and we had mount castle and i was just like oh man but look what happens but vargas yeah. sucks and we got lucky so
2: you got lucky on that one for sure uh, but yeah. that's a great point it's like uh, you know the snake draft is chess and then you got the auctions like 4d chess because you're having to like so many factors to it and putting it all together and like 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 you said, know, the snake draft well, the players just kind of go as you go through the draft or in an auction. They can go out and like and, and a guy with an ADP of like three hundred, you get thrown out so early. And like you're saying, there goes a potential value. But do you take it now or do you let it go and let someone else get it? And that that is a whole whole other animal to that thing. So yeah, pretty pretty cool stuff. Um, lastly, are there any other differences? Like I like, think like that's a humongous difference. But are there any other major differences when you're doing an auction versus snake draft?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely think, um, I definitely think there are, like if somebody likes a player, you're not going to get them right. Like Brian and I went into our auction and we were like, okay, we want Shohei, Like we want Shohei. we're actually really willing to go above what our value tells us because we just really like him as a player. Uh, we enjoy having him on our teams and like, you know, we really think, feel like with the angels moving from, you know, a six man rotation to a, you know, uh, six-day rotation or whatever it was, right, that Shohei was going to get a couple more two-steps and that could be really valuable. But um, one of the other players actually got Shohei on every single one of his teams. <laughs> and he was just willing to go there, right? So we were like, Shohei 39, Shohei 40, you yeah, know, it's 41, 42. Like, it's just like, unless you really are passionate about that player, you have to kind of rein it in. Um, and so, you know, that that's like one example where, Again, like people can really love a player and they can take them off your board as a result of that. And you just got to live with it. And I think that's why it's really important to go into the draft, believing in your values, because you will be tested repeatedly on whether you're willing to go over. And it's not just going over, right? If you go up to your value, you are theoretically losing, you're losing value, right? Like, because there are other players that will go for less. And then I think being able to adjust and realize that like, you know, yeah, this guy may have a $3 AAV, but he's either going for five bucks earlier in the draft or he's going for one dollar if he goes later in the draft. Right. Yep. And so then being like, oh, OK, so like that's when you get a lot of the bargains is the guys who aren't called out and then they get thrown out and nobody's got money, you know, and like yeah. they end up going for a buck, even though everybody loves them because they hadn't been thrown out yet and, and the money was gone. You know, and so there's just things like that where, you know, you just kind of try to do, you try to plan, you try to build your teams, you try to give yourself a little grace around those things and, and do it. But, um, yeah, it was it was funny to be so such a stickler to my values because, you know, there was a couple instances where we went over, you know, and it was kind of like we were joking around because Brian knew that I was like sticking to him. And then there was a couple guys I knew, like Bohm like Bohm he really liked and I really liked but my value had him at like nine bucks and it was like he hit like nine and i was like 10. i'll go 10 just because we like this dude let's get yeah. him on our team you know so um but then there were instances where we didn't you know we loved Freddie. we loved Freddie. Freddie was part of the plan and up to that point i think he was going 31 32 31 32 we went up to 33 we went up to 34 and i think he went for 35 or 36 just way so. above our value and, and so we didn't end up getting it like we went in literally being like Cole, Otani, and Freeman. We're going to get one of those three for sure, hopefully two. And we got none of them, you know? Wow. And I think those those are times that you regret it. And I think you need to have a little bit of flexibility where you're like, you know, when you love a player, when you know, when you believe. Like Matt Olson. I, I don't yeah. know if you remember, but heading into the season, I was like, Matt Olson is going to have a huge year. Yeah, you were. I was like, I believe this with every part of my soul but he's not the type of player, player I get. So I got him on Barf, but I didn't get him on any other drafts, <laughs> of course, you know? Of
2: course, <laughs> Right?
1: And now I'm like, man, I did this with Pete Alonso last year, you know, yep. where I didn't get him because of like the way he fit my team or whatever, you know, or like, yeah. however it is. And so I think those are the types of things where I really need to like trust when you love a player, when you just yeah. love a player. Although I just said, I love Miguel Vargas, So everything I say is a lie.
2: Hey, I'll, I'll give you credit. I, throughout the years of doing the show with you, I've seen you, alter from your, your you've adjusted as well so don't don't beat yourself up too much like you used to be hard and fast with the, the pocket aces and the getting your catchers and you've you've expanded upon that it hasn't been as so like you, you've changed with the times as well you still make it a goal to get you know x amount at a certain point but it has not to be right out the gate type stuff as you've seen the game and the landscape change so these guys might fit your mold pretty soon especially with you kind of hit it at earlier's the stolen base thing got so crazy it wasn't what we thought it was going to be so now maybe power is even more important now and we can do certain, like there's a whole, we got the whole off season to figure that stuff out, but it, it brings in a whole nother, like every year we're changing things. And uh, a, a quick point on, on something you mentioned about the auction that is interesting to me. Cause you said like, yeah, I had, you know, I had Mount Castle and Vargas. I had my set of guys. Uh, like when you're doing an auction, you're like, okay, there's these five guys and they're very similar. So as long as I get like one of these five, we're good. Their ADPs are here. I know I'll get one. I can get one. I can force myself to take one here like you're saying, as the auction goes on and all of a sudden say the third of the fifth guy gets called out. Now you're starting to sit there going, okay, this is not good. Cause what if the other two guys, someone likes them way more than me now I'm gonna have to overpay just to fill my roster spot and having to adjust the fact that you went in with your three top guys, you and Slack, you got none of them. And then, and, and still walked out of there doing pretty well is that says a lot about how you guys adjusted to it and, and trust the system. So that's, that's pretty cool. I got, that's why I think the auction is just a whole nother animal where, I think just kind of cool, calm, and collective might be the best way to go about things. Don't get too uh, too attached right out the gate would be what it sounds like. So looking forward to uh, seeing some more stuff on that as uh, the preseason goes on and maybe uh, dip my toes in the water. Let's talk about some redraft now. Uh, let's talk the 750 OC because for those that know, I play the 350 a lot and that's the standard one. And there's a, there's a 750, I think there's even like a, some in the thousands or something. There's, there's, there's one
1: fifteen hundred.
2: Yeah, there's, there's one other big one. All twelve teams, all those Cs, they all play for the same overall, but the, you know, different form like different payouts because for different structures and everything. Um, I know one thing. I think it was Modica or someone mentioned. I mean, maybe it was Phil actually. Um, they like the seven fifty because just the overall payouts are better, like um, rake wise or something like mm. that. Is what you were saying? Yeah,
1: yeah. With with the DCs and with the OCs, the same amount of money goes to the overall competitions like it's not a higher that's, you know it's not different. a higher like actual number right yeah and so as a result the the percentage yeah. that you win is is higher with the higher makes cost sense. ocs and dcs yeah
2: makes sense since you're playing for the same oc overall why would you have to pay more that's that's yeah. silly yeah. um so i'm with you there Uh, I remember this OC very clearly because you're getting ready to go to Vegas and it wasn't filling. You didn't know what you're going to do. You're like, I don't want to do it at home online, but we might have to do it online. And then it finally filled and you you got to do it in Vegas, I believe still, which was great. Actually, Um, when I got home.
1: I okay, did, so I did, did the did, night did, that did, I got home. It didn't expand
2: yeah. that far out. I remember just kept getting pushed back and pushed back, and you were like, I felt like, I think at one time you felt like, you're like oh, I'll just, I'm just not going to do it. Like we're just going to call it good. It's not going to happen. Because um, usually you're not, you you might do a 12 here or there, but you, you're usually a 15 team guy, I guess. It's just your your jam. You crushed this 12. Like you you were up near the top of the overall for a long time. And um, what what was uh, I? I have your draft up here actually. Let's just pull it right up and look at it uh you had the number one pick which helps yeah I I actually really
1: wanted Acuna on a team and and I was so happy I did my like KDS was like one and then it was like whatever Cole was going at 17 so I think I wanted to go if I didn't get him it was going to be Freddie and then Cole after that so I think he was like around the turn something like that that I was going to go um but yeah yeah I got I got I got Ronald uh I really wanted him this year um and at least one one league so I got him
2: can't wait to see what he goes for on auctions this year, but that's a whole other conversation. Yeah, um, wow. Before we get into your actual draft, because I just looked at your second pick, and that's going to be a fun discussion point. Um, what is, besides the payouts that we talked about, 350 DC versus 750 DC, what what are the differences to you? Because in theory, it's just a 12-team league. You're doing the same thing, but we're all realists here. The, the competitions is a little higher uh, and whatnot. So to you, what's the difference between
1: the 350 and the 750?
2: Oh, for the OCs. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah higher payout. Just So, that's it. so, so to you, everything's it, it, the same. It, yeah, uh, it's more just like, you know, one of those things, I invest a lot of time into my teams, you know, like I, I work hard on my teams. Oh, 100%. And if I'm going to work hard on my teams, then if I do well, I want the payout to be better. Like it sounds, I don't know if it sounds bad or not, but like that's, no, that's essentially why, you know, I've been fortunate to build, you know, like, you know, I started off. My first league was an OC. I did not OC. I actually finished sixth overall in that league. It was through. It was. Uh, I didn't. Yeah, it's it's a long, complicated story. But um, and then from that, I was able to enter a main. You know, and then I won that. And so you know, and then from that, I was able to. And then I finished in the top ten in that. And so that allowed me then to expand a little bit more. And then I won, and I think I won a super or something like that. And so that allowed me to like. Be sustainable, and so now I'm like when I go into a league, I want the league. I want to feel like the time and energy and effort that I put into that league is, you know, that I'm I'm going to get something if I do well. You know, because it's hard. No, there's it's nothing, so hard there's, to do well. There's, you know? there's
2: nothing wrong with that answer at all. Yeah. Like, I think anybody like you, you hear, hear that, my defensiveness. You know, no, yeah, I, I know, I know you, and I know what you. Do. Yeah, so um, there's nothing wrong with that answer at all. If you, I, anybody in their right mind. If they can do it, would be like yes, I want to get paid more for my time. That's pretty simple stuff. Like that's that's the basis of what you're saying, the, the gist of it. And there's zero wrong with that at all. So that answers that question. Now let's look at the draft part of it because this is what's fun for me. You got Degrom number two, um, and then you got your boy JTR. But then you got Gossman and Wheeler, which makes the Degrom thing not as painful in the grand scheme of things. Um, overall, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go pick by pick, but. When you're looking at your draft here, um, do you see yourself? We we mentioned the difference earlier, like, you know, take chances in 12s more so than 15s and so on and so forth. But in the end, you're still using your spreadsheet and obviously you can customize it more towards the format. I'm, I'm not silly about that either. But how do you approach your 12 team OC compared to when you're doing like your 15 main or your 15 supers and stuff like that? how do you approach your drafts? I know, I know even how I just approach my, my OCs compared to even the fleet, which is 50 or TGFBI. It's a different animal for me. So how do you do that for someone so experienced in the 15s and the 12s?
1: Yeah, I think it's scarcity. You know, I'm like trying to look in and lock in those things. I think some of the key things for me in 12s is, um, you know, I want a, I want a really good catcher. I want at least one really good catcher. I think that's one of the mistakes that I made in this draft um, was doing that. So I want that. Saves are a little bit easier, so maybe there's a little less pressure to to go too high for for saves there. And I think that's another mistake that I made. Um, If you look at my draft board, honestly, like it's not not that great, you know? Like I look at it, I mean, the back end was nice. And I think that's just like a reminder that when you hit on some of the back end guys, it can compensate and then some for some of the misses early on. So like I know I wanted Acuna, so I got Acuna first. I was hoping that DeGrom was going to fall to me there. I almost got Cole. I mean, Cole went right before there, Cole and Strider, you know, like we're right there. And I was like, Oh my God, if I get one of these dudes, (laughs) I'm going to flip out, dude, I'm going to flip out if I get one of these two. And I didn't, you know, so I got to Grom though. I was very pleased with that because what is the, what is the scarcest thing? You know, it's ratios, it's ratios along with K's. And so I was like, you want to know something? I did the math and I was like, if I get, you know, I forget what it was, 110 innings out of DeGrom, then he'll more than make up his value here. And so I'm going to take a shot on that. He gave me whatever, 45, 50, um, really good innings. And, you know, that's what I, that's what I could, that, that's what I got. Um, real, real, I got quick, real quick, yeah, just yeah. for
2: fun. Would you have taken that risk in a 15?
1: Uh, no, no, okay. no. I wouldn't have. I just want to bring that point home 15. to the listeners. Like, yeah. that, that, that's,
2: that's one of those picks right out the gate. where like, I could take the chance in a 12 over a 15.
1: Yeah, totally, okay. totally. Um, and then um uh, JtR I really wanted. I was really hot on uh, Jtr, not surprisingly um, going into <laughs> last season because you know the Hoskins injury had just happened. And yeah. so my assumption was my working assumption was JtR, like they did in previous years, was not only going to get catching at bats but also first base and that he wasn't going that he wasn't going to be out as much and that didn't end up coming to fruition and JtR did what you know the projections, essentially said he was going to do like i should look at that like where uh what what it was saying jtr was going to do it said 265 um let's see jtr it said 265 21 homers 77 runs 76 rbi and 17 steals. So he was a little under across the board. I'm not going to lie. It was a little bit of an underwhelming season, but you can't complain too much about that from a catcher, or whatever. Yeah. You know, um, Gaussman hit, obviously, you know, Wheeler hit obviously. Um, so I was feeling pretty good about that. Um, I was really hoping that Will Smith got back to me in the sixth. I really wanted to grab Will Smith there. And he went to, he, he was actually like, I think around ADP right there. I wanted him or Sal Perez. And neither of them made me made it to me so, oh, well, I got Adolis Garcia, right? Yeah, that, that, worked, that worked out for, out for me. Well. But then I got um, Ryan Helsley, you know, and so that did not work out for me. So that was kind of bogus. You know, um, Dansby had a fine season, but, you know, I think you're a little disappointed at, at the end, particularly given the boost in overall offense, what happened there. But Brian Reynolds is, you know, is the absolute best. Um, I ended up getting a Med Rosario because I didn't have him on any team. So that was a bust. I got Drew Rasmussen. He was great. You know, ended up being a bust. I had Mount Castle, who was doing, you know, relatively well. And then he got injured and I dropped him and then I didn't get him back. And he he didn't hit for much power after he got back, but he hit for a ton of average, dude. And that's what I needed. So that was a little bit of a bummer. Um, After that, I went... um, you know Chapman, which was fine. Like really, he did all his production in the first month. Like you could have just dropped him after that, and you would have been in good shape. If I had gone with Santander instead of him, there, you know, season could be a little bit different. I got India; he was great, you know, until he got injured. So that was that was nice. CJ Crone was was okay until he got injured, but he got injured. But this is where I kind of paid off. Was I got Sewell and then I got Verdugo, and Verdugo I dropped him like halfway through the second half of the season. So his production was pretty good on my team. Benintendi was a bummer, but then I went Naylor, Eflin, Strowman, Finnegan. Yeah, that run right there was really mm-hmm. good. You know, Stroh, I ended up eating all of that, though. You know, I think his his ERA ended up being like 3-8, and I, yeah. I didn't miss any of those total bummers that he threw. But Eflin was good. Finnegan was good. I think I did end up dropping Finnegan, though, because I had so many saves, because I picked up Estevez in the 29th. Yeah, it was you know, I had Savale, He got injured. I had Pepio. He got injured as well. thought Gratterall was going to be the— closer in, in LA and, and that didn't end up working out. So I did, not I just got that Estevez pick. That was the only one that really hit, but I was able to kind of put it together. And and when Sewold got the job and remember that was luck, you yeah. know, Andres Munoz got the first save and then it went a week between the Mariners getting their second save and Munoz was already injured by the time Sewold came in. So got a little bit lucky there. So overall, like the team was like, you know, the draft was definitely hit and miss even at the top, but um, I was able to kind of, I was able to manage it. I mean, honestly, like, it was, uh, it was, it was, you know, it was second overall all the way through August, and it just held around and hung around and hung around as low as sixth overall, as high as first overall for a while. I just couldn't hold it together, you know, and there was so much luck that was going my way that it just, it had to run out at some point in time. And it happened when, um, you know, I got a little bit, I got a little bit, like, I think the one lesson that i learned around the overall was just like to be patient you know yeah. because i think there was a couple instances i, I dropped kyle bradish you know, i picked mm. him up and i dropped him before he went off because he wasn't really striking guys out he wasn't pitching that well and he had a couple tough starts yeah. you know so i moved on from him and you know that was a huge that ended up being a huge mistake i moved on from mount castle and so it's just you know it just didn't you know and then i got started getting some ratio blow up um, and so I tried to piece it together as best I could and, and I wasn't able to hold on to the main, but I, I had won the league by like halfway through the year, man. It was just, yeah. you know, I had, I was telling you, I think it, it's on September 10th when I was winning all of my major leagues, except for the diamond. Um, I was, uh, uh, um, oh, I, I lost my train of thought. What was I going to say?
2: How are you was, doing? how dominant this team was like in special.
0: oh yeah i had 114
1: points yeah you know i had 120 them. i had 114 points out of 120 so it was just like you know i was just it was a, it was a great team and you know it was one of those teams where like you're going down the stretch and you're like oh i'm starting to play poorly do i need to worry about the league and then i looked at it and i was like man i could drop like i could play the worst month of the year and i could drop like three points that's you know awesome. it was just that's a like, good feeling oh, that's a good oh, feeling it's, <laughs> such a good, it's such a good feeling i mean like it was ridiculous like the, the challenge was you know going in like through august i was i think the team was playing over its head and i was in such good shape because my ratios were gold you know i had like 2400 in both era and whip out of you know uh 24.5 or whatever it was i had my my batting average was like 2200 out of 24.5 and so all the ratio categories, it was all volume from there. And so, you know, I lost to Grom and then I was struggling to fill some of the pitching positions, just wasn't getting it. And so I needed to get K's because my K's were starting to dwindle because I, I was getting really tight on who I was starting and who I wasn't. And so I knew I needed to go up in K's in order to compete for first overall because Drew's team was so good. And I, I'm halfway through your episode with him. And, you know, he's a sharp dude, and and we were DMing about, like, you know, at that point in the season, we were both kind of in it, and his team was just so good. Like, it never, it never looked back, and so I knew that I needed to kind of take some risks if I wanted to go for first overall, so I started streaming more guys, and, you know, those ratios can go down quick if you get the wrong guys, and I went up in Ks, you know, I finished, like, around 2,200 in Ks, but my ratios all fell, and then batting average just cratered, so I had, like, 23, 2400 in all of the categories, In the overall and then my batting average fell down to like 1300 and i knew then that it was that it was kind of done and that was sad because you can't really make batting average go up it's it's too hard and so that was a little bit sad but it was it was a fun team it was it was it was a good league and i think one of the challenges with the 750 and you know i know rob mccabe listens to your podcast who does all the oc analysis and and stuff so this may just be in my head but like one of the challenging things with that 750 was I think it only still pays the top two maybe Uh, i should check that out but like it was a super competitive league um for second and third place and so um which uh, made your fab
2: fab difficult (laughs) which was
1: fab difficult and my mistake the mistake that i made the biggest mistake that i made which will sound super counterintuitive the biggest mistake that i made was getting ellie I, I bid hard for Ellie. I was going to ask about that because that's, hard that's for out Ellie. of that's
2: out of your norm. That's why I was surprised. But you had the funds at that point, and you had the funds, so I, I got it. But that was
1: when I saw you tweeted out. I'm like, that is not a normal Toby thing to do. <laughs> I I bid I bid hard for Ellie, and one of my justifications was I'm in an OC you know, generally speaking in the back end of OCs, like they're not competitive bidding, right? Um, And that didn't end up being the case, like to to the credit of the the guys in my league, like they were bidding throughout and they were in it. And, um, you know, and so, and that was a mistake because I didn't need Ellie. I didn't need speed. You know, I had tons of steals, you know, I had that. And so I bid all this money when what I needed, what I needed was Tariq Skubal. You know, what I needed was yeah. to go after Cole Reagan's, you know, what I needed was to get resource in earlier, you know, all of these things, which I probably could have done, honestly, but like, you know, uh, hindsight's 2020, 20, but that was my biggest mistake because I left myself with, I think, 60 bucks for the rest of the season and, yeah. and I just couldn't make it work. And that was the same thing with my AC too. You know, I left myself very short on cash and in 15s that that is a painful spot to be in because you do not get the guys that you like, especially if you're in first place, because then you're, at the bottom of all those one and two yep. bids right so that was a little bit brutal that was the mistake that i made and something that hopefully i'll have a chance to learn from um in the future um so
2: no that's uh, there's a lot of lot of points there i, was, I wanted to hit on but um it's it, it is interesting because as a discussion i had with drew and i've had on other shows is um like i, I made a point to save money for the end but it wasn't enough money i like it, it was one of those where you're you know, I we talked about Jordan Wicks. I had Jordan Wicks. He is blown up. I end up finishing third in an OC. I only had a buck. I if I had like four bucks, I probably could have got Reese Olson or someone else to like fill in for the week. Uh, a lot of scenarios, the what ifs that we look back on, and you know, you just gotta learn from them is the best thing I can say. You can't go back. There's nothing you can do about it now. It is what it is. But um that's why it's always hard. We talked about it many times about paying up for these guys in this last year with the rookies it was super challenging like I think the biggest one I got was Tanner Bybee just because I'm like okay he's gonna throw like 150 innings I'll take my chances there so I think he'd be that good no but I if I'm gonna spend on a rookie I want a guy that I could have for most of the season type scenario um i not I would have loved Ellie I didn't have enough money at the time for Ellie There was no way I was getting Ellie in any of my leagues but um yeah it, it, it's nice when these leagues stay competitive the whole way because I remember when uh the guilds won the overall. I was in that league, and he kept tweeting out how mad he was because we were all bidding, but not like, all the way to the end because we all put our 350 in. We all wanted to, like, finish and, like, res- like that was my first year in OCS. I was still learning how to, like, move up the standings. Like, I was doing something, and he re- he he was joking, like, because he, he, he appreciated the fact we weren't just, like, giving in, but he'd get frustrated going, I want these guys to win my overall. What are you doing? Um, the other thing I want to mention is, I I know going from like second to seventh overall, you know it's a bummer, but you had to go for it. You couldn't just sit there and like, oh, I'm just gonna settle for second. Like, no, we're here to win the whole darn thing. Like, and so you had the luxury that you could do it because of your league, which is an amazing luxury because not everybody does. That that'll cost a lot of people overall standings and regular standings, uh, trying to go for it where. You had that luxury, so you had to do it. Like that's just the grand scheme of things. Um, how you did it, you like you're looking at could have been different, but at the time, you had to go for the gusto. There's nothing there. And then the last thing that, that dawned on me, you said around August is when things started going downhill in the hitting department or whatnot, you had Mount Castle and Naylor. I think they both got injured around then. Like you yeah. like were your injuries hit? Because like, we had a lot of the same players, and that's when my team like it was a battle just to put somebody out there that wasn't a complete dud at times. It was, it was a grind and a half. Like when you're looking at Kyle Farmer and going, this is awesome in a 15th. Okay, cool. In a twelve, you don't want to have to go there, but you are because that's where we're at right now. And that's, that was tough. That was tough for sure.
1: Yeah. I mean, one of the things is I ended up finishing 17th overall on that oh, and I actually had a little bit, that's okay. Uh, I had a little bit of a surge towards the end because in the last, last week of the season, I had um, two a 294 ERA one 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 two whip and I got four wins and I actually went through a period of time where in in the period of three weeks, I think I had six wins or four wins or something like that. I had one week, I think where I had either zero or one wins, you know, and so that was a little bit brutal, but I always say like, that's one of the things that's great about Roto is there were weeks in earlier in the year where I got super lucky, you know, and then there was times later on that I, um, that I didn't, I didn't get as lucky. And my last thing was like, you know, part of it is like, yeah, you want to go for the first overall, but, but there's, there's such a skew to the payouts in these overall, I mean, the OC, like it's 150 K for first place and it's 30 K for second. Don't get me me wrong. Like I'll take the 30 K or whatever, but like it drops so quickly. If if you can go for 120,000
2: more, you go for it. (laughs) It's
1: just like from just like a strictly like, you know, um, hot odds perspective you're like yeah, yeah let's let's uh yeah. let's well, do when, I, when
2: i saw the payouts it reminded me of my dfs stuff because that's how so many of the bigger tournaments it's so skewed to the top people complain about it and they're never going to change it it's just the way it is so you know, yeah, you, well, sign, you, you, know you signed up for it.
1: <laughs> yeah and, and you and, and you get to publicize that you know it's 150k to the winner exactly yeah if they, if,
2: if they didn't skew it we'd be paying like 75 to the winner and we can you know do it all differently. So, totally 100%. Um, last, I guess, last thing I don't know as we keep talking, I think about it. So, like, you had the Rasmussen's, the DeGrom's that gave you really quality innings, like you said. Um, I know like Steve, uh, Weimer and like Phil and yourself and others, uh, especially Steve, the D, the DC, just genius, fantasy genius. Don't really, I'm not going to pigeonhole him to DC's, but yeah, he's, DC's, pretty good at other <laughs> yeah he, he's great at, at all fantasy, but uh, DC, um, he, he always likes to talk about, you know, maximizing innings, maximize at bats, maximize, maximize, maximize. Now for you, when you lose these guys and you know, there's no way in heck you're going to find that talent on the waiver wire more often than not. How do you continue to try to maximize innings without like a big discussion point nowadays? Is like, does it even work two starters most of the time? Probably not. Like it's gotten so bad. So how are you trying to maximize innings knowing that you can't duplicate those, but you still need to find them if that makes sense. So how did you go about that in a 12?
1: Yeah, I mean in the 12s like it's a little bit it's a little bit different. You know, um I think you can find some of those guys and I I tried and I just my timing wasn't right. Like I mentioned I had Bradish on my team. So that was one thing and um you know, I think generally like um yeah, like, you know, in, in my 15s you know i got like cole reagan's on a couple teams but i didn't get him here like why not like i asked myself that all the time like why didn't i you know i, I think scoogle went for a, a pretty good chunk i don't think i could have competed for him but there's just examples of that where i think i mismanaged fab a little bit fab a little bit and i didn't wasn't able to go after them and um you know i, I think i think yeah i i just think that yeah some mistakes were made some injuries happened that maybe I didn't, I didn't have enough foresight to see how much Naylor was carrying my batting average, you know, gotcha. or like how, when I, when that guy goes down and I'm going after, I went after homers for a while. So it's like, when I do that, you know, and then you, when you're, when you're down on fab, you're also, you're also limiting the number of guys you're picking up in any given week, cause you don't have enough. Right. Like yeah. I literally like nursed it down to like the exact number of guys I need to rotate in each week. And the problem with that is then you get a guy like Ty France, who I liked for a a few weeks where the Mariners had like 14 games in 14 days or whatever, against pretty good competition. I felt like he was due for a little bit of power and he should have helped my batting average, you know, but the problem with him is like, I realized I only had that one first baseman. And so, and so then it was like, well, I want to keep him around in case, like, I need to plug him in somewhere. And then all of a sudden, like you've had Ty France on your team for like two months, you're just focusing on moving other guys in and out and not being able to 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 change out six guys every week right you're limited to three guys a week or two guys a week you know yeah. and so i think that's that's a major lesson for me and why that ellie bit i really do think cost me a shot was i didn't need it and then it left me so hamstrung that i wasn't getting the guys that i really wanted either sure. like I, I haven't gone back and looked to, to see was in my bid list that i missed out on that i i would have hoped to have gotten in those instances but maybe that would be a nice thing to do right here and then i can just wail in despair yeah. i was about, about to say let's the say
2: like, there, there, there's learning from our past but there's also like celebrate for a little bit you just <laughs> want <the right> our, thing <laughs> yeah I we all have some now. we all have some like i, I mentioned i like, got every show now i heard jenny talk about mm-hmm. jenny butler say she every night after fab or whatever she has like a running journal about why she made moves, what she did, what happened. So she can go back and just look at like her thought process. Cause like you can look back at week four right now and you probably remember because you remember a lot of things, but I probably couldn't remember why I did what I did or like, to the, to the point of why I did it to try to either justify or get really mad at myself type thing. So yeah, it's tricky. Um, what I do want to ask you, i is just kind of transition to talking 12s versus 15s now because you, you, you obviously do, do very well in both formats. And since we're on the topic of FAB, how different, I want to get it from your perspective, is FAB from a 12 to a 15? Because I always talk about 12s are crazy. They're different from league to league. Uh, or 15s, you might have a little more rhyme or reason with what's going on. So for someone like yourself, especially as last year, where you're grinding the OC12, you're grinding your 15s, how did you see the differences play out? And how was your approach different, if so? Yeah, I mean, I
1: think what I mentioned before, just about like the, the approach is different in terms of like what is scarce and what you're going after. Um, I think the fab is generally very different too, right? Like a little bit harder to predict how much guys are going to go for. Um, I think there's a lot more uh, streaming like guys. I think that was something that I did much better first half of the season compared to the second half of the season where there's those guys that just jump out. You know those guys that have cores for that week, or those guys who are playing in Cincinnati for that week who just kind of jump out in the projections. So I think like like those things like and I think that was one of those pieces where it's like it's a fine line between like being a little bit um cavalier in in moving on from guys like I did with Bradish, and again, like it worked out the way that it did, but like versus you know strategically streaming guys you know, kind of in and out of your lineup and, and stuff like that. And I think with 12s too, like, you really got to be careful about those guys that that leave a big hole in the lineup. Like Verdugo, there was this point in the season, I think two months out where right? I'd had him in my lineup for most of the year and his production was pretty good. Like the you know, batting average was good. Runs were good. All of that stuff was good. But I looked at my team and I was just like, you know, like, I don't, I don't like I'm good in runs. Like my batting average looks pretty good. Like, you know, I can move on. And, um, you know because you can't really have those those guys that aren't giving you stats like you can in 15 sometimes you have holes in your 15 teams and you're able to make it manage i think it's harder in 12s um so i think those are the pieces um again fab is more difficult in in 12s in some ways because it is more unpredictable how much people are going to go for and how competitive it's going to be um but you know a lot of the same things happen you know like You know, projections wise, you just adjust, you take a look at like, you know, what is, what are the SGP factors for 12s versus 15s, you know, and like, and all of those pieces. So, yeah, there's not nothing like nothing too wild. Um, Yeah. And, and uh, yeah.
2: Um, Draft wise, we kind of also hit on this, so we don't have to go too deep if it's not anything different, but you can take chances in 12s where you probably wouldn't take them in 15s when you sat down at the draft table or on your computer or wherever you drafted, did you have a, like a different game plan per se, or how how did you approach it come draft time? Because I like, we already said, like DeGrom wouldn't even have really been a choice in a 15 where you're like, okay, I can do this because of X, Y, and Z. So how did that go for you?
1: Yeah. um, Draft wise. Draft wise, I think there's a little bit more of a focus on upside, but I'm not sure that was really borne out all that well. Like it, I almost had my offense lined up, you know, in the 12 much earlier than I would otherwise. I guess there's maybe a little bit less of a need for depth, you know, in your pitching staff, like because you can stream in some higher quality guys on your team. So maybe that's why I focused a little bit more on offense and kind of backfilled um there but i think those were kind of the major differences like there weren't any major target differences i definitely wanted to get two really good catchers which i failed to do i ended up with jt realmuto and blake Sable as my top two so i know i was really disappointed leaving the draft about that but i think i felt pretty good about you know all of the guys and when i look at like my 80th percentile and, and stuff like that i was where i wanted to be generally um for that with the guys that i had you know, so I just I just wasn't
2: able to make it happen quite. No, it's all good. Um, any final, like, w- w- are there any other differences we might not have talked about between 12s and 15s? Or in the end, it's like, hey, I got my process. We're going to attack the teams, team needs. Once the season's happening, it's happening. Is it all pretty much just, hey, it's just one team's 12, one's 15? So obviously, there's more options on the wire. But in the
1: end, it's fantasy baseball
2: and we're over, uh, and bubbly. you're overthinking things. Um,
1: yeah, I mean, I don't know if there's anything else. Like, it's just like the scarcity piece, you know, it's the scarcity piece. It's the upside. It's knowing that there's a higher replacement value that's available on the waiver wire. And so guys really need to be able to differentiate themselves. And if they don't differentiate themselves, you have to be willing to move on from them too, right? So it's like, you know, you got to be willing to get that guy who's got those two or three hot weeks because he had good matchups or a good, you know, ballpark that he was in or whatever. And then, Make a decision. Do I, oh, did I catch lightning in a bottle here? Or do I just, do I cut this loose and get what I got and not get the downside of it? You know? So um, I think all of those things going into it, that's like the major difference. And then with closers, like I feel pretty strong about my ability to pick up closers off the wire. I actually dropped Kyle Finnegan like early on in the season because I had Estevez, Sewald, and who else? I had one other closure that was like Estevez, Sewell. Who was it? I got your draft right here. I had somebody who was really good. Yeah.
2: Helsley? Well, he, yeah, yeah, before, before he, he went, went down,
1: I guess. But even after he went, after he came back, I had somebody. Yeah, you, you had to pick someone up because it wasn't via the draft. Yeah. Because I, I know that I moved on pretty quickly from Helsley. Who did I get? Who did I get?
2: um wouldn't have been alzalay just yet that was too early in the season for him
1: yeah it was um was it pierce johnson no it couldn't have been him i had one other good reliever who was it it's a.j puck Uh, no maybe i didn't maybe it was just my two guys that really got me i'm I'm scrolling through they got a lot. so yeah, I picked up. Oh, God, I picked up Braddish when I lost Rasmussen. <laughs> Maddie McLean, I love Maddie McLean. Yeah, see, that's a good
2: pickup. See, you're making the McLean pickup that worked out really well. So you can't beat up the Ellie
1: thing as much. Oh, took a chance alley, on a rookie three twenty three to his two sixty two backup. Oh, I had McGuff for a little bit. Okay. Um. Yeah, maybe it was just having Helsley, you know, at the start of the year, why I felt that way. I felt like I was in such good shape. Um, yeah. All right, I want to ask you
2: a couple more questions. Oh, I had Andres some... Munoz too once he was oh, traded. That that's
1: huge yeah. right there.
0: It, yeah. it was money. Yeah.
2: A, a couple more questions before uh, before we take off here, I, and it's not like twelves or 15s related you do a lot of work with partners. We've talked about this before. I've talked about how stubborn I am and I've started to like, listen more to the idea of it. Cause especially like on the weekends, if I'm busy, then you know, you got a partner that can help take care of things and so on and so forth. You're working together here. You have multiple partners. Like you've teamed up with Slack and then some other people. Um, how, how, how is that going? Do you want to I guess, continue that run of just uh, of partnering up with different people? Do you prefer being on your own? How, and, and, you know, Slack won't listen to this. You can say whatever you want about him. So, um, <laughs> so, so say what you wish, but how, how is the the partner process going?
1: Yeah. I mean, I enjoy um, the, the only person I've really partnered with is Slack. Um, I have other people on my teams, but it's just cause the, they, you know, essentially like front some funding to get into the leagues, you know, and gotcha. split the split the prize. So there'll be other names on there, but like, it's really just Brian and the, the, um, diamond auction that we shared. Um, yeah, I mean, it's great. I mean, I, uh, uh, I've enjoyed working with Brian a ton. Like I've learned a lot. Um, and you know, yeah, we do like, we would talk on Saturdays, Saturday night. Cause that's generally when I do fab and then check in on Sunday about, about guys, you know, this, we, we joked around like this, this league was like one of the more painful ones we'd ever been in. You know, with our diamond, you know, I think we ended. I don't know what we ended up with, but um, we were close, pretty close to seventy hitting points on the season. Um, we ended up with sixty-six point five at the end, but our team kind of tanked in the in the last uh, couple of weeks. But we were up, up to seventy uh, hitting points, and we just could not get the pitching. Yeah. We just could not, you know. It, we we had twenty-one in pitching, you know. And it was just the most it was the most frustrating league i have ever been in in my entire life when it came to pitching you know it was like from the get-go we had scherzer we had bieber and we had ray as our three main pitchers yeah and so it was like scherzer gets injured early so he's not throwing bieber's not getting k's and then he gets injured And Robbie Ray is out the door right off the bat so pretty early on we were actually like we are we are going we're going to go with a relievers for ratio approach you know like we were just targeting a thousand innings you know like how the NFBC put that thing up that said like make sure you get to a thousand innings I feel like that was directed towards us
0: (laughs) because we were like we were literally
1: like we need you know we need 33.1 innings per per week the rest of the way we need 28 and it was so funny to go through our team and the pitchers that we had because it was just like a comedy of errors where it's like really good pitchers you know like bruce Gat what was his era it was like 1.2 this year yeah i think he probably gave up like eight earned runs the whole season well guess what we had him on our team for one week and he gave up four earned runs oh, you know man. it was just like it was literally like that like one after another you know it's like We had Pierce Johnson who ended up being super good when he was with the Braves, but we had him with the Rockies. And he got like, you know, uh, we got blown up. We picked up Chaz McCormick early in the year and we like had him. We had Jose Alvarado and he was crushing and then he gets injured, you know? Um, uh, We've got Bubich, of course, you know, it was just like, it's just, we got Alzele before he became the closer because we thought he was going to be the closer. He got like one or two saves. And then they went to other guys. They went to Boxy, and then they went to, you know, uh, whoever was their closer originally came back, or Fulmer was got it for a little bit. So we moved on from him, and then he became, like, you know, the ace. We had him for that week, and we dropped him. It was just, like, so, you know, brutal. Like, we picked up Gallegos, and Gallegos over the course of the year was pretty good, but he had that rough spot. We picked him up for that, you know? You got the rough spot. Oh man. And we just couldn't get saves, you know, like, oh, it was so brutal. It was so brutal. Like we tried to piece it together. And then we had like McGuff when we made the decision that we were going to go for just the ratios. We had like three or four lockdown closers and like two weeks later we were down to one, you know, and <laughs> it was just all... like, Oh man. Oh, it was so frustrating. And we just couldn't piece it together. And then towards the end of the year, we were locked into fourth place, which pays, which pays out in that. You know, and it's money back. And so it was, like, huge. And we were there, and we were locked in. We got all the way up to to three. We were within three points of two. And then the ratios just blew up. They just fell apart, man. They just fell apart. And we couldn't do it. So we we went with a ratio approach, and we ended up with, like, three points in in both ratio categories. It just – yeah, wow. it was, it was, Wild. Tough. it was tough. But anyways, I enjoyed, I love yeah. Brian. I enjoyed so working awesome. with him. Yeah. It was awesome just to get to know him better as like a human being through the process of, um, uh, of working, um, on that. And like, everybody loves Brian, you know, like when he yeah. won, so many people were reaching out and, you know, it's cool when, um, when you feel so good, when somebody achieves that, who, you know, yeah. like they are, they are good people. Um, and so yeah so anyways it, it was fun you know i would do i would uh, you know brian was kind of like a special case with working with him mm-hmm. you know uh, i might consider it in the future you know um but you know for now for now like it's it's just me flying solo i will miss Sweet. i will miss sharing that team with him though uh, for oh, sure. definitely
2: definitely um 2023 like, it's the, the taboo thing to do lessons learned. Like, you don't have to get, do a big old. Oh, man. I wrote uh, down
1: lessons learned, bro. Did you really? Oh, I, I, after the season was over, uh, I was like, dude, you know, because everybody's talking about it. Yeah. I heard you mention it. I, I didn't hear the episode, but uh, Jenny Butler mentioned she was doing a diary. I know, like, Phil has been doing something where he's just like writing notes, which I think is super valuable. Of course, I didn't do it throughout the whole season, but I was like, I need to do this, like, when we, for when I come to the table, you know? Because yep. I am piecing out. I'm piecing out for months. You know. I know. That's why I, I was wondering.
2: I was wondering if you even looked at it yet. If you're just gonna be like, you know what? I'm gonna go take a breather, and not even think about it. Cause I was just curious. Like we talked about. You know, my, one of my things is, hey, I need to uh, get my steals. But I like I had too many steals because I thought like a certain process. And there's a point. Obviously, where you don't need all these and they cost maybe power or something. So like those kind of lessons like in my head or diff- there's many ways to diagnose lessons learned, like what's like maybe one or two of the main ones that you're kind of thinking, okay, I need to go back and reassess. Or I, th- this took me by surprise or something in 2023.
1: Yeah. I mean, one of the things I think that's kind of stands out to me is I've always been like an 80th percentile guy, like where I really focus in on those. Um, and, and, and uh, Brian actually mentioned this on, 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 uh, I think it was Rob DiPietro's pod, but we were, we were chatting about it. And, and it's like, you know, you look at his team and it was, it wasn't balanced. And it's also like, you know, when you think about those 80th percentiles, like the approach that looks at those and like across the board, focusing on 80th percentile, it assumes that the categories are equally available within, within the player pool for fab. And we know that's not true. You know, we know that's not true. So if you're actually aiming for 80th percentile. You need to be higher. Right. And I think that to me super resonated because average is something I have struggled with, you know, it is something I have struggled with for for the last little bit. And so that's like a major, you know, lesson learned, um, for me. Um, and really like focusing, putting extra emphasis on those ratio categories. Um, I, I think, um, you know, um, let's see what other, some other ones. Um, you know, like later in the season, not relying on two steps for the last week or the 100%. last couple of weeks, understanding a that they, they, shift, <laughs> yeah, they shift so much, yep. um, being a little bit more patient. You know, that's one thing I think I improved on a little bit this year is when there was an elite ratio reliever that I trusted a lot that I felt like, man, this guy is good. If I stuck with him, like he'll get the role, he'll get the role. And so I was a little bit more patient and I held on to some guys and I think that benefited me. Um, you know, a little bit um, uh, during this season. More so, I, I had less of a challenge with saves um, generally this year. I think um, than in other situ- than in previous situations. So I'm going to continue to do that, but I think I'm going to expand that a little bit. Like I'm always looking like, okay, what are this pitcher's matchups in next week and the week after that? And sometimes I'll be super impatient. And I'll be like, uh, oh, this pitcher's okay, but I'm not going to use him in the next two weeks. So I'm just going to move on. You know, and 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 if they have skills, if they're a good pitcher, you got to be a little bit more patient with them, you know, and m- not move on so quickly. I think that was one thing. Um, I mentioned it before, but not focusing on steals to the d- detriment of other categories. I think that doomed me. It's doomed me before in other leagues and it doomed me again in my TGFBI team where I was like, I needed um I needed steals badly. And so I was just like populating my team with like four or five steals guys at a time, hoping to move up because that where I could move up in the overall. But i moved up in that but i went down in every single thing else so i it would have been better just to be like to to go after one or two guys that were pretty good but could get me steals and then just hammer those other categories and and move them up as opposed to really um you know kind of kind of waiting and, and going for just that one um uh category you know um you know drafting things like getting starting pitchers who are on good teams late You know, guys that can end up contributing wins, things like that. Um, Focusing on late round uh, right-handed hitters, you know, so that you're, even if you get good guys, sometimes they're platoon guys. And so like, then you're moving them in and out of the lineup and you're losing a lot of value in doing that. So, you know, honing in on those kind of right-handed hitters as late round targets and prioritizing those guys um, as well. So those are some of them. Some of them are just like league selection, you know, like, you know you know, really honing in on that um, a little bit more, like what leagues you're doing. Um, One of the things that I really struggle with and one of the reasons why I'm moving away from DCs is that like, I oftentimes didn't know what players I had on those DCs, you know, I'm like, oh, I have this guy, but I don't know what team. It's like, I want to be in a number of leagues where I know every single player that I have on every single league. league, right? So that I know exactly who's on that team. And I'm not just like guessing. And it seems ridiculous to be like, I can't remember guys on 10 different teams, but I couldn't, you know, I didn't know. And so then when I'm setting lineups, it's like, if I see that a guy's not in on Monday or or on Friday or whatever, I'd oftentimes forget about my DCs or about TGFBI or even barf sometimes because I was like, ah, you know, I'm really focused on these teams. And so I was like, ah, it's not good to be not in it, you know, on some of those. So just stuff like that.
2: Yeah. Makes total sense. Okay. Before listener questions, I said one general question for you what's next for team bat flip crazy because like you said you're going to shrink down your leagues no dcs you always have like a a thing at the end of the year like i'm gonna do this different next year and we we did lessons learned so it doesn't have to be that like what's new for team bat flip crazy
1: yeah i think no dcs no drafting until march um you know i'm probably going to cut at least a couple of my fab leagues so i think i'd like to be at a max of five leagues total next so year. If, if, um, bar,
2: if barf is in February, are you out? I don't know.
1: <laughs> I got to decide. Um, yeah. I, I've got to decide on TGFBI and barf essentially. So. Um, you know, and, and I love those leagues. I've always loved those leagues. I love what J what Justin has done with them. I love hanging out with people at barf, you know, that's like one of my favorite days of the year. But the challenge for me is always thinking about like, you know, if I could just go and hang out with people for that day, that'd be great. But then I got to do fab for 27 weeks, yep. you know? And it's like, I really want to be, I really want to do, I want to be in a mindset where I want to do fab. Yep, you know, for it. those leagues, like I yep. want to do them. So I got to figure it out. I, those are the ones that I'm like kind of considering and stuff like that. So we'll okay. see. We'll see what ends cool. up happening.
2: All right. A couple listener questions for you here. Dave funnel sports nuts asks, um, he says, only if they're time, redraft first dynasty. Just what's your general thoughts on Vlad Guerrero Jr.? Because I know Ryan Bloomfield has a Vlad just question as well. How, how are we doing on the Vlad front? Yeah, I mean, I think I was right, right? Yep. I think, think I was right.
1: right in my initial assessment of, of who Vlad Jr. is. And I just happened to do it right before his 90th, 95th percentile season. Yep. Honestly, that will be the best season of his career most likely he will never achieve that he will never supersede it and it happened to be the year that i did it the guy that the guy that he it has been the last two seasons i think is the guy who vlad junior is um i think you know like you look at his batting averages right 272 262 274 264 with the 311 you know you look at um I, you know, and I think that's one of the things is like he had such high BABIPs in his throughout his minor league career. And he just, for whatever reason, man, I just, I think that's who by junior is dude. Like, it's not like his yeah. barrel rates are like out of this world. Right. Yeah. Like I, I'm 11.1, you know, 11.2, 15.1. And I know everybody's like, Oh, he's still just 24. Like there's room for growth. It's kind of like, I mean, if he hasn't learned how to do this, maybe he'll switch teams, you know, or whatever. But at this point in time, like, there's nothing special I see there, you know, there's nothing special I see there. Sorry, Vlad. I'm sure you'll have a fantastic next year.
2: Yep. No, I'm with you. It's one of those I've been kind of off of. I've already gotten flack from other people when I said, no, no, like, I got a bunch of would, like, would you rather next year? I'm like, "Mm, that's never been Vlad. I I get flack for it all the time. Should have stuck with the never
1: Vlad. uh
2: drew fru underscore dorte we already hit on this but drew just go back and listen what are the biggest differences between 350s and 750s welcome back toby so we hit on that uh earlier and congratulations to
1: drew on the victory i mean that was awesome we dm'd like back in august or whatever and wished each other luck on that and he's the one who, who took it down so um kudos to him fantastic team and it's not like he didn't get injuries, you know, like his yep. team started falling apart towards the end injury wise. And he, he just kept on plugging. So kudos to him. Yeah,
2: He put together a heck of a squad there.
1: Um, a great show yeah. so far
2: that, I, oh, that I've been you. listening to. Yeah, I, I, was, I learned a lot. Let's put it that way. It was a uh, dude. The dude's a smart one. Um, little book of calm. Good, good, good guy here. He says, welcome back. As the one who introduced me to home run to barrels, full count K percentage and many other fantastically unique and fun stats. What is your favorite stat that you've been playing around with the most in 2023?
1: I don't know if there are anymore. It's all been unveiled. It's all That's been. True. I mean, the thing is like, there's been a few situations like, yeah, like that, like the three, two K, the three, two um, K minus walk and three, two. I'll counts.
2: never forget that. Telling me Jose Barrios sucks. Basically.
0: <laughs> That's
2: so yeah, good. It did suck.
0: Yeah,
1: he did. He did. Um, yeah. I mean, ball percentage, you know, I was, Obviously, like, a lot of people are paying attention to that now. I know that um, HQ did research a few years ago that that's the best way to determine what walk levels are. I think there's other ways. I mean, honestly, like, if anything, I'm getting less granular now. I feel like every time I do a deep analysis on guys, I feel like the projections are picking up what I'm, you know, like, what I'm seeing, and and they're incorporating it into that. and, And so, yeah, I think that's, you know... Yeah.
2: Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, Richard Sands, who's in bar for this, just made a joke. How was he able to secure the barf crown against stellar competition? Because it's Toby, that's why. 30.1 30, um, 30.
1: shutout innings yes, with a .46 whip and 19, 19 stolen bases when you need them in the final week of the season. Uh, that's how I won that in that league, which is just remarkable. I mean, part of it was that I was able to um, I was for the last, you know, three, four weeks, I was my pitching like k's and stuff like that or or so or in saves were good enough where i i just could throw like high leverage really good relievers but still man 30.1 shutout innings in a it's week insane. i have never seen anything Especially the final week remotely week or, close to that where
2: it's just pure chaos like that's that's impressive uh anthony gialdi he asks are there any fully healthy players that you absolutely will not draft in 2024, a yes or no will suffice. You don't have to divulge names. If you plan to prescribe anyone, (laughs) there's always a group of guys we're probably out on. I just be realistic on it.
1: Yeah. Um, Vlad, uh, no, I mean, I I would never be like, I'm not going to draft this player, you know, like it depends exclusively on value, but yeah, I mean, Vlad jr. Would be one of them. I I haven't seen where he's going. I imagine I probably won't get Matt Olson this year. Um, you know, but I would say the one guy that I, that I, that I, where I think about where he's going to go in drafts. And I think about his last year is Blake Snell, I would predict yeah. that I will not have any Blake Snell anywhere. Cause I think he's probably going to be going the top two rounds. And anytime a guy is a leader in both strand rate and Babbitt, yeah. I I can't go there. I can't go there. It'd actually be interesting to see like, you know who who the who led the league last year, and it? it was probably Alec Manoa. It, it, not it, not it, saying that he's not saying that um, Blake Snell is Alec Manoa, but
2: um, the the, the K to walk with Blake Snell is very terrifying. There's no denying that, and the BABIP, like you mentioned, this uh, he he was very fortunate this season.
1: Yeah, well, it's just like I, yeah, I think guys guys get really lucky sometimes, you know. Yeah, so like Julio Urias had a really low BABIP. He led the league in BABIP. And he led the league in strand rate last year, so that's that's a little example. Um, yeah, like the guys who led the league in Babbitt last year were Julio Uriah, Zach Gallen, who obviously has proved that he can continue to do it. McKenzie, who you know yeah. was ob- obviously hurt. Verlander, who was fine, but you know, but then Alec Manoa, Miles Mikolas, you know, Tyler Anderson, Dylan Cease. It's quite the list uh, of Yeah. You know, like, uh, there's, there's some good names on there too, but like those, those guys that are real outliers, that's what I'll kind of look for is just guys that are outliers on those types of luck metrics. They don't, sometimes they're able to repeat it, but a lot oftentimes they're not. And I'll, I'll side with the often not, even if I'm wrong sometimes on it.
2: For sure. Last question we have here, Mike Curland asks any new s'mores combos that you've tried and recommend?
1: Man, no, no new s'mores combos. I think this year. I think I've only had them a couple times, and oftentimes yeah. Reese's peanut butter cups are available. You know, and that's money right there. I think that's. Uh, I mean, that's the go-to. I think I had one that wasn't that, but um, I can't really remember. I can't really remember. Yeah.
2: Oh, well, maybe I did maybe have we'll a be... I did have a blizzard to wrap up the season. I saw up, that. So, I saw you was... post that. We might have to have one in Arizona this year. We'll see. We'll see if we can swing one. Um, but most of the events will be right next to our hotels. So I'm not sure we'll make it to a Dairy Queen, which uh, is the the good and the bad of the situation. But oh, really? Uh, most of the
1: games are right there. Like the Thursday Mesa? night,
2: the Thursday night. you I don't know if you'll be in yet. Like I think the receptions in Scottsdale at Scottsdale Stadium. But I'm pretty sure Friday, and then then the Home Run Derby on Saturday is both at Mesa. The Fall Stars games at Mesa. It, that's how it was last year too. It's beautiful. You just walked right. Okay, up nice. It was perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So, what is it? Salt river. It's pretty Salt far Rivers away. Yet, Scott's doing one. Yeah. So most of our stuff, I'm pretty sure is walking. Like literally you could probably leave the front door and throw a baseball and hit the stadium. So it, it's pretty nice, pretty nice setup, of course. But before we sign off, Toby, any final thoughts?
1: Um, I don't think so. It's great to be back with you. Yeah. Um, You know, congrats to everybody who, who won this year. Um. Thanks to you and, and, you know, for putting out the content that you do and all the people who are putting out content, you know, I miss chatting with you regularly and it's nice to be back and hopefully I'll, I'll visit a couple times more um, over, the, over the little bit. So, yeah. Yeah.
2: The door is always open. I try to let you do your thing because I, I know you, you got a different process, but uh um even Curlin jokes around he goes he doesn't he, like text me if if toby's available he, he can come on the show it's okay you can just let him know it's uh, like toby knows that toby's doing i, I know i think my no. my days as a regular podcaster yeah, I are probably that, over that's why mm-hmm. that's why i leave you alone and i'll bug you once in a while and we'll do our thing and we'll catch up in arizona and maybe sure. i'm really gonna... looking forward to that yeah that'll yeah. be a blast but Thank you for everything. Um, obviously, thanks for joining me, but you have made me a better baseball player, or fantasy baseball player. So thank you very much. And hey, your, likewise. likewise. And um, look forward to, uh, yeah, we will chat some more. We'll, we'll make it a little more often, maybe a couple times a year, and we'll uh, we'll have some fun during all that. But for those of you that live under a rock, you can find Toby on Twitter at <laughs> BatFlipCrazy. Pretty sure you all know where to find him. I'm on Twitter at BDEntrick. This was Benched Above Episode 609 with the one, the only, Toby G. Catch you all later.